reading is Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Good morning. Uh, doesn't sound like you're convinced. <laughs> good morning. It's very good to see you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your presence this morning here with us. And we pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives and come and make a difference. Pray, Lord, that we be receptive to what you're saying to us. And I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. To lead us closer to Jesus. Amen. I wonder, I wonder if I'm the only one, I don't think I probably am, who, when you find yourself saying to someone, Happy New Year, as I want to say to you, Happy New Year, a little voice kind of in the back of your head is thinking, Fat chance. Fat chance that this year is going to be a happy new year. Simply because there's so much going on, so much which is challenging, so much hardship, so much locally, nationally, internationally, that looking forward, it's really, it, it's in danger of sounding a little bit hollow, happy new year. So as I thought about that, that is why I'm decided to preach over the next few weeks about some of Jesus's invitations because I'm certain that if we can appropriate these invitations into our lives if we can train ourselves that they become part of our way of living then we will be equipped and we will be empowered throughout the year indeed to be happy and I don't mean uh, happy in a kind of laugh out loud sort of way necessarily but what I mean is we will carry with us a deep knowledge of security and contentment and peace and purpose and so today I wonder if we could have a reading up, up. there we go today uh, we're going to begin this series uh, with a very familiar invitation from Jesus and you can see it if you're uh, watching online I hope you can see it too come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest and it continues and I want to say just straight away there's a danger here that familiarity might make it hard for us to actually get into this invitation in fact I had a kind of whatsapp dialogue with Lucy who works in the office uh, earlier in the week actually quite late on in the week and she asked in a very polite, kind way, Rupert, have you decided what you're preaching on yet? I need to let the readers know. And um, I sent her these verses. And she sent me back immediately a WhatsApp that said, I guess that if there are any verses that people know off by heart, probably they'll know these verses off by heart. And I whipped back a reply to her, said, oh yes, we can recite it, but can we live it? And she <laughs> sent back another message which said, 
Probably not, which is why we need you to teach on it. Well, let's look at this invitation. And it's a wonderful, wonderful invitation, isn't it? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And my suspicion is I don't need to spend a lot of time unpacking what weary and burdened means. I remember when I was staying with some friends of mine and their five-year-old daughter came into the room and looked at her father and said, Daddy, what does worry mean? And I always thought, and I thought about it for years, what a wonderful moment, what an incredible life. If you don't know what worry means, I don't want to break it to you, long may you not have to know. But weary and burdened, probably most of us know about being weighed down and looking down and feeling that your strength is never going to be enough. And of course, you can't judge by appearances who's weary and burdened. So many people look calm and as if we've got it together on the outside, but who knows what's going on on the inside? Well, Jesus does, of course. And I'm sure, and we'll come back to this, that most of the people listening to Jesus were weary and burdened. I want us to notice that this is a promising invitation and an invitation with a promise. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That's the invitation. And I will give you rest. That's the promise. And I want us to understand that God keeps his promises in a way that I don't and you don't. Quite some years ago now, I remember picking my daughter up from school, the end of her school day. And as I took her hand, and I was enjoying the moment, and walked her to the car in the car park, and she couldn't have been more than 12. She looked up at me and she said, you're the vicar who lies. And I was a bit shocked by this. And I said, really? She said, yes. You said you'd be here at four o'clock and it's two minutes past four. I thought that was a bit severe. <laughs> but it stands as an example that we routinely say things that sound like promises and later we don't deliver on them. We say things like, I'll never let you down. Or we've heard people say to us, this won't hurt. Or do your best, that'll be good enough or it'll all be okay in the end. And I'm sure they're meant to be reassuring words, but they end up undermining our confidence in promises when they're not fulfilled. And it's not just what we say to each other either. It's in our face all the time, products that don't deliver what they appear to promise. You know, it can be as trivial as a shampoo or a car or a holiday destination. Just on the weekend, I had some friends around for supper and they told me that they're on the wagon, they're not drinking anything alcoholic throughout January. So forewarned with this, I, I went to the supermarket and I really enjoyed buying a whole range of extraordinary looking drinks with no alcohol in them, all sorts of colors. And I was fascinated actually by the ones that were blue and green and that sort of thing. And on the bottle, they promised all sorts of things. Um, one of them said in large letters, gives you oomph. 
Well, uh, I'm waiting. <laughs> you know, promises, we're used to them being broken. And I know this is going to land me in trouble when I say we're so routinely misled by politicians, so I say of all parties, who, who promise what they failed to deliver. That it's almost like in our brains, automatically, you hear a promise and you discount it. You kind of think, really? So I want to say, yes, really, when it comes to God, you can take his word as gospel truth. He keeps his promises to the letter. And this is an invitation of promise with a promise. You know, I've done some market research on this in preparation of this talk. And I want to give you some testimonials of people who have found, as they relied on God for his promises, they found it's true. And they're all from scripture, Psalm 145. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all that he does. Joshua, in Joshua 21, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every single one was fulfilled. 1 Kings 8, praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Or Psalm 119, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. So not only is this an invitation with a promise, it's also an invitation without limitation or discrimination because it's an invitation to everyone who is weary and burdened, to everyone who feels life is climbing on top of them. And surely in Jesus' day, this had to have been the majority of people that followed him because there was nowhere to turn for help when you were in trouble. There was no welfare state, there was no safety net, there was no housing provision, there were no food banks, no health care. Weary and burdened would have been just the beginning, I'm sure. So it's incredible that Jesus looks and invites all who are weary and burdened to come to him. And it enables me to say with confidence, so this is an invitation to every single one of us here and everyone who's watching online, if you want to receive it, you're included in this invitation. In this sort of ground clearance section of the talk, I think it's necessary for me to also say, not only does God keep his word and keep his promises, but God and rest go together. And that might not be something you'd have guessed. How would you have completed this sentence had you not already had the verse drummed into you. Come to me and I will. How do you think Jesus would complete that sentence? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Really? Really? That's not what I thought you'd have said to me, Jesus. But God and rest are in partnership in scriptures. It's like Gilbert and Sullivan, or Lennon and McCartney, or Watson and Crick, or Laurel and Hardy, God and rest are joined together. If you listen to the podcast that I'm loving, The Rest is History, perhaps when you think of that title now, you can think of it differently. The rest is history. God gives rest. 
Here are some illustrations. So when God calls Moses in Exodus 33, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Or Jesus to the disciples in Mark 6, when we're told they were so busy coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat. He says to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. And if you'd have completed that sentence, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and I'll give you your marching orders for the next few days, or, and we can discuss where you've let me down recently, or because there's a shopping list of things I need to tell you about and I haven't had time yet, then you've forgotten that Jesus can give us rest. Now, there's no way that we're going to come anywhere near Jesus if we think he's going to take advantage of us or put more demands upon us than we can possibly carry. So, how do we make good this promise of rest? How do we cash it in? And I want to spend the rest of this short talk just describing three steps that we need. And each of them sounds terribly simple. And in one sense, each of them is very simple. But in another sense, I think it's a lifetime skill to acquire them and do them habitually in our lives. And the first one is very simply said, come to Jesus. This is clearly a personal invitation by a person to us as people. It's not come to a product, it's not come to church, it's not come to Christianity, it's come to Christ. So it raises a very obvious, challenging question for every single one of us. So is there anything that's keeping us distance from Christ? And the reason this is more difficult to, to sow into our lives than we want is because we drift slowly, slowly, and often imperceptibly away from Jesus. It's a bit like a very common experience if you've ever been swimming in the sea. Let's suppose you put your, your towel down on the beach or you've got your friends and, and you go off and you just swim around and then you look back on the shore and somehow or other there's a distance from you and your friends or the towel, whatever it was, and it's not just a distance further out, but you've drifted to the left or the right. And it takes constant vigilance, constant checking of our distance from Christ to see if we are drifting. But there is one great help in this, well, more than one actually, but a great help in this is the Holy Spirit. Because all we have to do at any time is to be still, genuinely still, and to ask God, Lord, is there anything that's putting a distance between you and me? And part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to say, yes, Rupert, as a matter of fact, there is. And this is it. And it, it might be an attitude that you've got, or you know, I don't know what it would be, but the Holy Spirit, it's part of what he does is to convict us of the distance between us and Christ. And the way back, it's got a technical word for it, is, is repentance and faith. The way back is to say, I'm sorry, I really am. Get me back on track. And the thing is, this isn't just something you do once, is it? This is something that we're going to be doing habitually throughout our lives if we want to experience this rest, this peace. And actually, because most services have a part of a service where we say the confession, and, and it's quite easy just to go through the motions. But if you really want to be close to Jesus, you have to spend a bit of time allowing him to con 
convict us and convince us we need to get back on track. And regrettably, the most effective rest robbers don't have to be spectacular to be spectacularly effective. It can be as simple as distraction. I, mean, I, I suppose the standout case in scripture is when Jesus visits the home of Mary and Martha, and there he is. He's present, for goodness sake, in, in their kitchen, and yet one of them so busy running around, he might as well be anywhere else. It, there's a really horribly annoying little phrase annoying because it's true if you're too busy to pray you're too busy you know just busyness and distraction can rob you of rest prevention is a lot better than a cure and i think one of the ways that god has given us of keeping us from drifting is one another i think being in a small group is an essential way for god's provision to keep us close to him. And I really mean a group where you can be known properly. It's an aspiration that every small group should be a place where we're loved, certainly, where we're accepted, definitely, and when we're corrected, sometimes. You could call, I've often heard people talk about accountability groups, but if you're not careful, actually, Groups over time just become there, there groups. And you know, you tell each other what's going wrong, and they say, oh, there, there, I really feel for you. Which, of course, is all we want to hear. Whereas, actually, part of what real fellowship is, is from time to time, someone might have to correct you and say, have you thought about this area of your life? Because we don't want to drift. Well, coming to Jesus is a big step in the right direction but it's only the first of three steps and I'm going to move on now to the second one to harness this rest we need to rest in the harness to be harnessed to Jesus take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart my yoke is easy and my burden is light and this is a, a agricultural picture obviously isn't it and in my imagination, I jump to a picture of, say, two oxen walking side by side, yoked together. And we know what that is. It's a, it's a yoke over their shoulders. And it sounds quite restrictive. And it sounds very controlling. And I think it is. And again, it's simple to say, be yoked to Jesus. Uh, but it's much harder to do. And we need to pay a little bit of careful attention to what Jesus says about this yoke. And the familiarity of these rather ancient words and how they're translated could lead us astray. Particularly if, like me, you're very familiar with the Messiah and you can't help hearing that chorus going on about my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does it mean, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, not actually what we think. He is not saying my yoke is easy peasy and what he actually means is my yoke this thing that you put on your shoulders is made to measure it fits each individual because Jesus makes it perfectly and my burden is light what that means is I'm not going to overload you 
anything that we carry, we can carry together. You won't be on your own because I'll be walking shoulder to shoulder and it's going to be, it, the yoke is going to fit and the weight you can carry. Let me read to you uh, an adaptation of the message paraphrase because maybe this will bring it home in a fresh way. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out? Maybe with stress. Well, come to me, says Jesus. Do life with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to experience real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything too heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. But I want to say that frankly, sometimes I find myself, and you might too, hesitant about putting this yoke on. And I don't think it's unreasonable to hesitate. And here's why. Because if you choose to be yoked to Jesus, discomfort is bound to follow. It's a tough road to hope. If you choose to follow Jesus, sooner or later, you and I discover that he's going to lead us down paths we most definitely wouldn't have chosen if you'd had a choice of your own making. John Stott, when he was well getting on in years, in one of the last sermons that he preached, uh, not more than two miles away from here actually, speaking to a congregation of a packed church, said from his vantage point of old age and experience of following Christ faithfully, if you want a comfortable life, keep well away from Jesus. And if you and I inspect Jesus's life and the life of the disciples and reflect on what he went through and took his disciples through, there's every clue that being harnessed to Jesus is a tough ask. Was, it, was his a trouble-free life? Did the disciples live trouble-free lives? Very obviously they didn't. Was his a comfortable life? Did the disciples have comfortable lives? Very obviously they didn't. Was it an enjoyable life? I don't think so, not always. Did the disciples live enjoyable lives? No, I don't think so. They had high points. The miracle days must have been marvelous. But they had enormous low points and uh, those wonder bar days seem few and far between compared to the relentless opposition and hostility and persecution. But was Jesus' life well spent? Yes. No one has led such a meaningful life. Were the disciples' lives well spent? Yes. Did his day-to-day -day life make a difference to the world and for good? Yes. Was it a life that if you offered it to him all over again, he would do the same way? Yes. Was God the Father pleased with his life? Yes. Because Jesus fulfilled his purpose for his life. So did he and the disciples live life to the full? Yes. Did they live their lives for the day-to-day -day comforts? Or did they expend their lives relying on the promise of a better future? And I think the answer has to be, they live for a better future. So what I'm saying is, I'm just being candid, that when you and I stick close to Jesus, sacrifice 
and suffering will be part of a package. Jesus says as much. But he also promises his presence. And that presence will make all the difference. And the reason I'm prepared to put this yoke on and advise you to put this yoke on is because we trust the nature and character of the man behind the invitation. Jesus reveals his heart in this invitation. He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And we need to let this bit sink in too. Take a long, hard check on the character of Christ. And you'll be reminded that the actions of Jesus in scripture tell you of his nature. He is gentle. A bruised reed he does not break. He's not ham-fisted. He's not hard-hearted. He's not capricious or bullying or coercive or inconsistent. He isn't full of himself or overbearing or exploitative. He is humble of heart. He'll go the extra mile for you. He'll suffer for you. He'll lay down his life for you. He'll never leave you or turn his back on you. He'll never get bored of you or go off you or get tired of you. He's committed to loving you, to helping you, to leading you today, the next day, and the day after that. And when you're yoked to Jesus, you need never walk alone. That's why I will let him put the yoke on my shoulders. So the first step was to come close to Jesus. The second step is to stay yoked to him. And the third step is to learn from him. That Jesus makes this part of the condition to receiving rest. If you like, you have to take out a lifetime subscription to look and learn. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The moment you and I stop learning is the moment your rest will begin to dwindle which is, of course, enormously challenging. But it's really good to understand this and buy into it. And it's why here at St. Michael's, one of our goals is to equip each other to follow Christ by continually learning. And you're going to soon get details of seminar evenings on the first three Tuesdays of February. February's a dark month, you know, it's often very dingy and it's quite wet and can get cold good time to come together and I call these evenings equipped for life and very deliberately they're going to be two streams and I'm not going to spill the beans of what what the topics are but they are very deliberately picked to try and equip us to follow Jesus closely and to keep 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 learning and I want to say about what Jesus is saying here is it's not just learning facts in your head. And I found it striking when listening to John Stott actually preaching once, and he said, we don't need any more tadpole Christians. And what he meant, it was a vivid little picture, because if you've seen a tadpole, you know they're all head, aren't they? And, and too many of us who are Christians can be like that. You know, you accumulate more facts. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. We know when we connect with Christ when our lives are changing. You know that you're still learning when the way you do life 
is influenced by what Jesus says to you today. That's the kind of learning that Jesus did to his disciples. He said, walk alongside me, see what I'm doing, and engraft it in your life. That's what I want to encourage us never to stop doing. And if we do these three things, rest will be ours throughout the year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for that promise and invitation that you gave so long ago that stands written in scripture. An invitation to each of us. Thank you that you're not oblivious to what's on our plate today. And thank you that your heart is big enough to invite all who are weary and burdened to come close to you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't be afraid of asking you to show us if we've drifted or are drifting. And if there are things that are going to prize us away from you, Lord Jesus, we want to know about it from you. And we want to put it right, even at the start of this year. Because we want to experience your refreshment and your rest. So help us come to you all over again today. And Lord, we also say sorry for the times when we've been reluctant to put your yoke on our shoulders, when we'd really rather have walked off in our own direction. Again, we say, Lord, forgive us. We want the security of being side by side with you. We say to you, Lord, you have more than our permission to teach us. We, you have our request to teach us. We, we want to be disciples in the proper sense of the word of learning, learning, learning to become more Christ-like in every way. So come and have your way amongst us even now. We pray in Jesus' name.